listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I'm going to read the verse number 18. And all things are of God, and he hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation is the term that Paul uses here at the end of verse number 18. He also uses this phrase at the end of verse 19, hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. It is my belief and conviction that Paul is using the word reconciliation almost as a summary of the gospel. Whereby sinners that are estranged from God, at enmity with God, are brought near to God, brought into friendship with God. And it is that gospel that the apostles preached. By returning to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We see that this gospel of reconciliation is to be presented to men. Verse 11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. It is our obligation as the people of God to offer this gospel to all men without exclusion. Who has this responsibility? Well, I think in the immediate context, Paul is Dealing with the matter of the apostolic ministry. God has in a unique sense committed the word of reconciliation to the apostles. But when you work your way through the pastoral epistles. First, second Timothy and Titus. You see that this ministry given to the apostles is then to be discharged by the church. You look at Acts chapter 8 very quickly please. Acts chapter 8. You have the account of Saul and his persecution of the church. And then you have the scattering. Saul making havoc of the church in verse number 3. Entering into every house and healing men and women. Committed them to prison. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. And the word preaching there is not the usual word for heralding the gospel. It is a much more general term for communication. What I would, what I'd pray for, for the body of Christ here, is that the sharing of the word of the gospel be something that is second nature to every child of God. And I think that is a general principle we can draw from the words of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now there is a, a broader application of this beyond the apostolic band. And so with that in mind, As we think about this matter of the message of reconciliation, let me begin by pointing out the mercy of God in providing this ministry. Verse number 18. All things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. And it's that phrase, that clause, hath given to us the ministry. That, to my mind, denotes the grace of God. Now, here I believe this does have a very particular application to the apostles. For what you see here is that the work of God in sending Christ to reconcile sinners 
continues in the dispensing of that message to the apostles. Paul calls this the grace of God. Verse number one of chapter six. Remember, there's no breaking the chapters in the original. He says, we then as workers together with him beseech you also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. Now, what does that mean? Well, to receive it in vain is to receive it without any benefit. And I think what is not involved there is the idea that a sinner can be saved by grace without any benefit. Don't, don't receive saving grace in vain. You can't do that. That's, that's, it can't mean that. What I think it does mean is that the gospel is here called the grace of God. And there is a possibility that sinners can sit under the gospel even tonight and receive the grace of God, receive the word of the gospel, and not have no effect in their hearts. That is possible. And so you have here the mercy of God in providing this ministry. It is given by God, and it is to be shared as a service to men. The word ministry in verse number 18 is the word, the usual word for service. It's the same word that we get our word deacon from. It is the deaconing of reconciliation, the serving of reconciliation. What is remarkable is that God has entrusted to the church the work of serving others by bringing them to God. What a mercy it is that undeserving sinners, Lord's Day by Lord's Day, hear the word of reconciliation. Some of you young people, perhaps not yet in Christ, I hope that at some point in your life you will value the privilege of being in the house of God to hear the gospel. There are many who receive a gospel tract, the word of reconciliation. And they throw it behind them, they put it in the trash can, whatever it might be, and they have no idea what they're doing in despising the mercy of God who has provided us with the ministry of reconciliation. The second thing to note is the motivation to pursue this ministry. There is so much that could be said. I want to just highlight three things that really stand out in our text regarding the motivation. There is, first of all, the reality of judgment. Verse number 10, Paul makes this sobering assertion, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. Here we're looking to the final judgment, Christ sitting on the throne, and similar language used, of course, in Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2 in the verse 16. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. You'll appreciate it's not my task tonight to describe the matter of final judgment. The issue regarding to works here is consistent with what the Lord teaches in Matthew chapter 25. That a man's works give evidence to the nature of a man's soul. Those who are righteous in Christ are regenerate by the Spirit of God. They are sanctified by the Spirit of God. And there are therefore good works which prove the reality of their justification. The unconverted show in the ungodliness of their acts that they are not in the kingdom of God. But what we see in verse number 10 
is that judgment is one, it's inescapable, and two, it is inevitable. It shall happen, and it shall happen for each and every person who has ever lived. And in light of that, Paul says in verse number 11, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. There is also not only the reality of judgment, there is also the charity of Christ. Verse number 14, for the love of Christ constraineth us. Does it mean my love for Christ? Does that constrain me? Well, yes, it does. But is that what Paul is saying here? Does it mean Christ's love for us? Well, of course, that also constrains us. We're, we're humbled when we think about the love that Christ has for our souls. But in the context, it is actually, it's more dramatic than that. Look what he says. For the love of Christ constraineth us. And then you have, what happens next? Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. How do you put all this together? Well, verse 14 is describing our union with Christ. One died for all, then were all who died in him dead. That should take you back in your minds to Romans chapter 6. Maybe you should turn there very quickly. Romans chapter 6. Verse number 4 says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Newness of life in light of our union with Christ. Back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. If one died for all, them were all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So what he's saying here is that the love of Christ constraineth us because the love of Christ so radically changed our nature that no longer do we live for sin and self, we live for Christ. And as we live for Christ, therefore we serve others. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And that's why Paul says in verse 13, whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, Or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constrains us. It has so moved in our souls by the work of regeneration that we are so changed that we therefore serve others no matter what you may think of us. That's how the love of Christ compels us into the ministry. Because the love of Christ has so radically changed the soul of the child of God that they in this new nature live for Christ and will therefore serve others. The love of Christ has so changed our souls that out of a new nature we do not longer serve self, but we serve others in the gospel of Christ. So you have the reality of judgment, the charity of Christ, and you also have the suitability of the message. 
Verse number 20, look at this. We pray you in Christ's stead be reconciled to God. And here you have another reason. For he hath made him to be sin for us. Who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Why do you want to share this word of reconciliation? Because it is exactly what the sinner needs to hear. It's a perfectly suitable message. That was Paul's own experience in Romans chapter 1. We saw this many, many months ago now. We saw in the verse number 15, Paul is ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. It's powerful because of what it is. It is a revelation of righteousness. And thus the unrighteous sinner needs to hear how their sin can be covered and how they can receive a righteous understanding of God. These are things that press us on to share the gospel with others. Well, let's move on quickly. What about the message? See, when we think about the message, the presentation of the gospel, there are various messages that are offered in the church today. There is the God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life message. There is a become a Christian and get a better life message. There is a God did great things for me. Let me tell you that message. There is a you don't want to go to hell message. Now there's various degrees of truth in all of those messages. But none of those messages are what Paul preached. At least not in essence. Paul in his preaching in Corinth preached Christ and him crucified. But you go back to chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians and the verse number 2. He tells us, but we have renounced the hitting things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. Now, dear people, we're not salesmen and women. There's been far, far too much of that that's crept into the church. How can we paint a picture of the gospel in such a way that will convince people today to come along board. So seals, techniques, enter into the presentation of the gospel. Paul says no to all of that, but says in verse 2, but by manifestation of the truth. Manifestation of the truth. That is what gospel preaching is. Gospel preaching is a doctrinal presentation of the truth regarding Christ. I thought I'd try to help you in some way tonight and with my desire that this matter of evangelism would be second nature to us all. Well, how do we briefly, in a condensed fashion, share and manifest the truth to souls? Well, there's all sorts of schemes you can use. There's various things that we presented in books, and some of them are very helpful. Let me give you four words. Sin, sovereignty, saviour, substitute. I'm not telling you to just simply go to people and give those four words. But those are four words that you can have in your mind 
That if you keep them in your mind and organize your thoughts around them, I think you can give a faithful presentation of the gospel. Sin. Well, Paul deals with that, doesn't he? Verse 19. And by the way, I'm taking these words from the portion of Scripture tonight. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. Dealing with sin, not as a matter of human weakness, but as a trespass, a transgression against the law of God. That presupposes, when you mention sin, that there is a God who has given a law. And he's a right to be offended and alienated because of our transgression. The word trespass takes you in all sorts of ways. And so keeping that in your mind will allow you to present the authority of God, his right to give a law and to judge according to that law, and also to be offended and angry at those who disobey that law. There is a trespass against God. Hence in verse number 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. There's, there's the matter of sin. Sovereignty. Verse number 19, to wit that God was in Christ. I don't think we should ever tire of telling people you're broken and you can't fix it. That's been left out of much gospel preaching. Because we don't want to discourage a sinner from accepting Christ. If we tell them how useless they are in spiritual things... We will therefore perhaps think that they will think that they should leave here and they've no hope. But the inability of man and the sovereignty of God are the best news. Because they can't fix it, but God has. God sovereignly was in Christ, sovereignly reconciling the world to himself. It is God, not our works, not our religion, that fixes the problem of our sin. Sin, sovereignty, saviour. Well, of course, here we must present the gospel of Christ. Reconciled us to himself, verse 18, by Jesus Christ. The eternal son of God sent into this world, taking to himself a true human nature that he would redeem mankind unto himself. Not taking the likeness of angels, but the likeness of sinful flesh. As he died on the cross, he died for sin. He's a saviour sent. And he's the only saviour sent from God. Which leads to the simple doctrine of substitution. He was made sin for us. He did not deserve to die, died. That we who deserve to die might live. And as our substitute, he is that perfect substitute for he rose again from the dead the third day. God accepted the perfection of his work. You can do your own thing. But in light of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I think those headings are helpful in our minds as we seek to manifest the truth. Oh, there's so much more. But that is vital. All of those things are essential to your proper presentation of the truth of the gospel. And I haven't even got to the point that they must repent and believe. They've got to know the gospel before they know what they must do. And we are often too quick to get to decision time. 
without properly and adequately explaining the doctrines that they're deciding on. So we get there, but we must manifest the truth of the gospel. Which leads finally to close to the manner of this ministry. How do we do this? Well, let me summarize it in, in one sentence. It is our responsibility to plead with sinners using precise persuasion. How do you do this? You plead with sinners using precise persuasion. It's not meant to be a tongue twister. It's meant to be a help that you understand where you're going here. There must be precision, clarity. I've already said to you, there are doctrines involved here. And people must be clear what the gospel is. Don't please, do not listen to the modern evangelical mind that says, the unsaved don't want to hear doctrine. Just give them your testimony. Tell them what God has done in your life and that's enough. That's a wonderful story. But the gospel's much greater than that. Because the gospel teaches the truth of what God has done in your life. He's willing to do in the lives of others. If it's just about you, well, no sinner has any assurance. But rather, the gospel is about God reconciling the world unto himself by Jesus Christ. And so there's a need that we are precise, factual, informed regarding the gospel. That is part of the reason whereby you come to church Lord's Day by Lord's Day to hear the same things week by week so that you are so well versed in the gospel that you continually, it it comes out of your pores. You just breathe gospel because you're so immersed in gospel. That's the plan anyway. But in your regular Bible readings and in your time in the house of God, there is a deep understanding of what the gospel is. Precise persuasion. Verse number 11 again, we persuade men. Verse number 20, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you, we pray you in Christ that be reconciled to God. There is persuasion involved here. That was Paul's method in Corinth, Acts chapter 18. You see over in Acts chapter 18, turn back there please, Acts 18. Acts chapter 18, we find Paul in Corinth. Verse 1, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. And then verse 4, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and Greeks. What did he persuade them? Verse number 5. Testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. He presented the factual accounts of the person of Jesus, convincing them that he was the Messiah, the only Savior of sinners. He is convincing them, persuading them, using arguments and reasons to convince them of their errors and lead them into truth. Now here I must make a comment. That was Paul's practice in Corinth. It was also his practice in Rome in Acts chapter 28. He says there, I says there, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus. Now, why do I pause here? Well, the comment is 
that in some Reformed circles there is a concept of depravity and inability whereby evangelists and preachers practically believe that there is no point in really explaining the gospel. They sit back and wait for that zap of regeneration and then they begin to explain the gospel. But what you find in the ministry of the apostles and the ministry of Paul is that though he understands that souls by nature are depraved, he is not resistant to persuading them with arguments as to why their thinking is wrong and why they should think truth. That's what it is to present the gospel. People come and their thinking's all over the place. Gently and graciously, it is our responsibility to manifest. Sorry, you are not right here. Let me tell you what the Bible says regarding Jesus. And let me try to persuade you, to convince you that he is indeed the Son of God and the Christ of God. You read John's Gospel. Virtually every chapter gives some evidence to Jesus being the Christ. It's what the Bible's about. Convincing people of their sin and convincing them of the need of Christ. So, the manner of our evangelism requires precise persuasion. But it also requires that we plead with sinners using precise persuasion. Verse number 20 again of 2 Corinthians 5. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Paul recognized the possibility of people under his hearing receiving the grace of God in vain. And he pleads with sinners to be reconciled to God. We believe that God will save sinners how he pleases, when he pleases. But that does not stop us crying out to sinners with tears. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Could this be the last night you hear the gospel? Could it be that you will never again hear the word of reconciliation? I pray you in Christ's stead be you reconciled to God. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.